Come on, good morning, church. Can you put your hands together for Jesus in the room? Come on. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Somebody love on Jesus this morning. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Come on, let me hear it. Merry Christmas. Uh, tis the season, and uh, what a blessing it is to be here with all of you today. Uh, if you've been a part of our church family here for a while now, you know that we always take a moment and look at the cameras in the back of the room and say a great big hello to our extended family uh, in the greater Washington, D.C. area. We are one church in two locations. So we have our campus right here in the south metro Atlanta area, and then 702 miles north of here in Germantown, Maryland, is our Go Church family. And they're meeting this morning and worshiping together with us. And uh, I'm just so grateful for all of you. We love you so much, and we bless you today. Come on, can we welcome Go Church? Let them know you love them. Come on, tell them that you love them by a round of applause. We do. We love you so much. And then, of course, to all of you that are watching online, uh, as many of you know, there is a winter storm that is just kind of moving uh, in the southeast area. And so some of you, you might have plans to go to your home church, and they're not having church today. And so you caught us on the live stream. We're glad you're tuning in, or maybe you're traveling, or maybe you're at work, and you've got a break, and you're tuning in online. Wherever you are, whoever you are, we're just glad that you're watching today. We believe that the Lord has a word for you. And then we always pause, and we give honor to the incredibly brave military men and women that are serving and protecting our borders and freedoms. We honor you, we bless you, we salute you. Come on, can we do that now? Come on, wholeheartedly, let them know that you love them. Now, before we jump into the message, let me give you a reminder, and we're trying to do this every single week because we're gonna blink and Christmas Eve will be here. It's happening so fast, whether we are ready or not, Christmas Eve is coming and Christmas Day is coming. And, and in the midst of all the, the chaos of Christmas and the hustle and the bustle and the shopping and the Amazon packages that are being delivered, come on now, we wanted to pause and make sure that, that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And so at both of our campuses here in Atlanta and in Germantown, we have uh, two Christmas Eve gatherings. We're calling the, the night home for Christmas because how many of you know there's no place like home for Christmas? And at both campuses, I want you to stop by the Next Steps area because we've got tickets uh, for either one of these gatherings. So, so both uh, uh, at our campuses are happening at 4 p.m., and then again at 5.30 p.m., it's an identical uh, Christmas Eve gathering service, a worship experience, and so we want you to be there. But in order to get in, you do need a ticket. Now, the event is free. There's no cost attached to it, but you need a ticket so that we can better prepare for your arrival, for the arrival of your family and your friends and those who are coming in from, from out of town, from out of state, uh, whoever they are. So make sure you get your tickets. And, and I know you've heard me say that the last couple of weeks, but the tickets are running out. 
Um, as of this past week in Atlanta, we had given away hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tickets at Go Church. They only got a few tickets left for both of those gatherings. We don't want anybody left out, so make sure that today you stop by Next Steps and you pick up your free tickets uh, for this incredible Home for Christmas, Christmas Eve gathering service. It's going to be awesome. Anybody excited for this? Come on, you ready for this? It's going to be great. You don't want to miss it. You're going to love it. Last week we started a new series, and I think it's appropriate, I know it's appropriate for the season, Uh, we're calling it Carols. On the count of three, say this title with me. You ready? One, two, three. Carols. Try it again like like you're glad to be at church. You ready? One, two, three. There it is. Turn to somebody and say Carols. Now now we're doing this series because I I wanted to take an opportunity and explore some of our all-time favorite Christmas carols and look at... The, the lyrics to these carols and see how they could not only remind us, but also refresh our faith that Jesus Christ has entered the world. Now, if you were here last week, come on, how many of you enjoyed last Sunday, by the way? It's a fantastic day in the Lord. If you were here last week, you know that, that we talked about Emmanuel, and Emmanuel simply means that God is with us. If, if you missed last Sunday at either campus, Jump back online. You can go to our website. You can visit our Facebook page. You'll see the, uh, the, the string there for you to watch last week. You don't want to miss it. Because we talked about this understanding that, that God was, God is, and God will be with us. Come on, give me a good amen right there. So if you missed it, jump back and listen because it was powerful. So last week we talked about Emmanuel. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Today, though, we're going to talk about what is probably a favorite for many. It's the song that they just sang at both campuses a moment ago, Oh Holy Night. By show of hands, how many of you love this song, Oh Holy Night? Come on, both campuses. This is your all-time favorite, and I know that uh, they blew it out of the park singing this song. It was absolutely beautiful. I want to give you, I want to give you for a moment just some context around the lyrics and the history of this Christmas carol, Oh Holy Night. O Holy Night was written in the mid-1800s. As a matter of fact, what's interesting is that there was a French parish priest who one day asked a man who was living in his town, in his village, if he would write a poem centered around the Christmas story found in Luke chapter 2. The gentleman who was approached about writing the poem, his name was Placide Capot. What's interesting about Placide Capot is that he wasn't actually a Christian. He didn't believe in in all of this. He didn't believe in the gospel. He wasn't wasn't a member of the church. As a matter of fact, he he wasn't even an attender of the church. Placide wasn't known for his church attendance. He was known for his incredibly giftedness at writing poems. Anyway, whatever it took for this priest to convince Placide to write this poem... Placide agreed, and one day on a bumpy stagecoach ride all the way to the uh, capital of France, Placide began to consider what it must have been like to be there on the night of the birth of Jesus Christ. So he took out his pen, he took out his journal, and he began to write the words to what was an an original poem called O Holy Night. When he was finished with his writing, he was so overwhelmed by what was in front of him, 
that he decided this is too good just to be a poem. It needs to be a song. So he connected to a really good friend of his, Aldolfe Charles Adams. Now, Aldolfe wasn't a Christian either. He wasn't a believer of the gospel. He didn't attend church either. But they partnered together to put melody and music behind this poem that Placide had written. Well, this song became incredibly popular. It ran all throughout the Catholic Church and other churches of various types of, of denominational affiliations. They, they began to sing this song until a few years into the singing of this carol, church leaders found out that it was actually sinners who wrote it. So they decided to put a stop to it. But the lyrics were too powerful. The, the scriptural reference was too, too filled with truth, too full of truth, that they could not stop the song, Oh Holy Night, it was too late. By the time they tried to stop it, it had reached worldwide fame. One more interesting fact about Oh Holy Night, and then I'll share with you some thoughts that the Lord dropped in my spirit. About five decades later, on Christmas Eve 1906, there was a 33-year-old Canadian professor by the name of Reginald Fessenden. And he did, on Christmas Eve, what many people thought was impossible. In his garage at his home, he invented this makeshift generator. And on Christmas Eve 1906, he plugged a microphone into the generator, and he went on air for the very first time. AM broadcast was now created and invented for all of the world to hear. Once he was live broadcasting on this AM station, he leaned into the microphone and he began to read from Luke chapter 2, verse number 1. And this is what he read. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And he read all of Luke chapter 2 and told the Christmas story for the world to hear. Once he finished Luke chapter 2, he reached behind him, he pulled out his violin, he played into the microphone, and the first song broadcast across airwaves in the history of the world was this song, Oh Holy Night. I don't know about you, but I, I've often wondered... What must it have been like to be there on the night that Jesus Christ was born? As a matter of fact, if I asked you, and we'll do this at both campuses to close your eyes. Come on, real quick, close your eyes. And, and imagine, get a picture of what it must have been like, what it must have looked like, the, the scenery surrounding the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus Christ. Okay, everybody got a picture? All right, open your eyes and look at me. For the majority of us, the immediate thought that popped into our brain was the nativity scene. It's the manger scene. That there is, for me at least, so much emotion that is pulled out from within me whenever I stop and see the nativity scene. I think, I think it goes back to my childhood. Uh, every Christmas, we had a green ceramic nativity scene that my grandmother, we called her Nana, that she made in her senior adult Bible study class at church. And for our family, 
It wasn't officially Christmas until this green ceramic nativity scene, this manger scene, made its appearance. There's something special about the nativity scene. You probably heard this joke before, but it seems like a good time to tell you a joke. Anybody want to laugh for a minute? All right, watch this. One day, uh, Johnny's mom came to him and told him that he hadn't been a good boy this year. And that because of his bad behavior, Santa Claus probably wasn't going to bring him any gifts. Well, Johnny was, was hysterical. He was distraught. I mean, come on, any, any, any child, any little boy leading up to Christmas, they desperately desire Christmas gifts. And so he went into a frenzy and threw a temper tantrum. So Johnny's mom decided to tell him this advice. She said, if you write Jesus a letter apologizing for your bad behavior, maybe Jesus will have a conversation with Santa Claus and you'll get some presents. So Johnny reached into the drawer and he pulled out a piece of paper and a pen. And he began to write this letter to Jesus. And he said this, dear Jesus, I'm so sorry that I've been a bad boy this year, but if you'll make sure that Santa brings me some gifts, I promise you I'll be good all of next year. Well, he read it, he considered it, and he didn't like it. So he crumpled up the piece of paper and he threw it in the trash and he pulled out another piece of paper. And he started writing, Dear Jesus, I'm so sorry that I've been a bad boy this year. If you allow Santa to bring me gifts or bring me presents, I promise you I'll be good for six months out of the year. Well, he read it, he considered it, and he didn't like it. So he crumpled it up and he threw it away. He pulled out another piece of paper and began writing, Dear Jesus, I'm so sorry that I've been a bad boy this year. If you'll let Santa bring me presents, I promise you that next year I'll be good for three months out of the year. Come on now. He read it, he considered it, and he didn't like it. So he crumpled it up. See, he was having a hard time coming to grips with making this promise that he would be good for God. That he would do good for God. That he would be on good behavior. So he thought for a moment, and then this idea came to him. He remembered the nativity scene, the manger scene that was in the living room downstairs. So he ran down the steps and he got to the nativity scene and he grabbed Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he ran back up to his room. He took out a piece of paper. He took out the pen and he began to write and he said, dear Jesus, I have your mother. And if you ever want to see her again, make sure Santa brings me gifts. Come on now. It seems more appropriate, doesn't it? You know, all, all jokes aside, there is real emotion attached to the manger scene. There, there's real emotion that's developed there. Uh, not too long ago, Kimberly's parents, they, they got to visit the Holy Land. They got to visit Israel. And they asked Kimberly, is there anything that you want us to bring back? And Kimberly said, if you could find me a handcrafted nativity scene, that would be the greatest gift. So they came back, and sure enough, they presented to her this, I mean, it is just beautiful, this handcrafted nativity scene that is made from an olive tree. Every piece of this is touched by hands, carved and whittled and all of that, however it works. I mean, it's stunning. It's beautiful. And it sits on one of our, our uh, book stands in the living room. So when you walk in, you see it. They brought me a hat. But anyway, they... <laughs> They got her this nativity scene. I like the hat. Don't get me wrong. 
but it's a hat. <laughs> and honestly, I think every time I walk by that manger scene, I think how pretty it is. I think how nice it is, and it is, and I, I'm sure that it, it was fairly expensive. That's why what was left over was just them enough money to buy me a hat. <laughs> but I think about that manger scene and how it actually does a bit of, if I'm being honest, disservice or misunderstanding of what that holy night was probably really like. Come on, think about it for a moment, church. This was a teenage girl. She was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That, that is a sermon by itself. Come on now. She and her soon-to-be fiancé, they were instructed to leave their town, get on the back of a donkey, to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem to take this census. Can you, can you picture this in your mind? She's nine months pregnant, riding on the back of a donkey, and require to go almost a hundred miles to get to their destination. I'll never forget when Kimberly went into labor with our, with our oldest child, Lakeland, our son. I, I, she was like, it's time. I was like, it's time. She's like, it's time. I was like, it's time. She's like, it is time. And I put her in a 2008 Dodge Nitro, and that was miserable. Come on now. Can you imagine being on the back of a donkey? Being nine months pregnant, then when they finally get to their destination, there's no room in the inn. You know, jokingly, the, I say it like this, Motel 6 did not leave the light on for them. And they're trying to figure out, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And so they found what a lot of scholars believe uh, was a cave. A cave where animals would, would go into to either protect themselves from, from different types of attacks and against other animals, or they would go into this cave to protect themselves from, from inclement weather. And so now, Mary, who's chosen by God, that the angel said, you are highly favored, she is now giving birth in the worst possible environment. We're talking unsterile, no epidural. Come on, ladies. It was chaos. There was panic, there was pain, and all of this is going on inside of this little cave with these two teenagers. And Mary is giving birth to the Son of God. Can you imagine that? And I think for Placide Capot, he considered that night and what it must have been like. And all of the things that had surrounded that moment. And he pins these words within this carol that I want to zero in on for just a few moments today. And I believe that after this message, the next time you hear this song, the next time you sing this song, when you get to this phrase, it will jump out at you in a way like never before, and you'll never, ever forget it. Here's the phrase. You've sang it, but I don't know if you've missed it. He wrote it like this. He said, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. I want all of us at both campuses, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to say these two words, weary world. You ready? One, two, three. Come on. Let's try it again. One, two, three. If you're looking for two words to describe today's times, I don't think that you could find two better words than weary world. Wouldn't you agree? 
I mean, sometimes the world that we live in is just overwhelming. When you think about everything that's going on politically, when you look at the continued racial injustice, when you consider how many families are broken and dysfunctional and they're trying just to stay together, there's too many people that are dealing with cancer. Too many people that are dealing with other types of serious sickness. I mean, there is a constant anxiety. If you watch the news, there's this uncertainty and maybe even this fear. And then all of a sudden, worry steps in. There, there's murder and there's kidnappings and, and there's hatred and there's, there's wars and all of these things that are going on around us. I don't know two better words to describe where you live in than weary world. And I think for many of us, we can relate to this, can't we? Come on, we've all been through some painful times where we've encountered this weary world. But what I love about this song and what I love about the scripture so much is that there is also a thrill of hope. Come on, help me preach for a minute. Come on, the thrill of hope is Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And on that holy night, because of this thrill of hope, everything would be forever different. And now, guess what? The weary world rejoices. We rejoice. And that is my prayer. It's my prayer for every single one of you in this room. It's my prayer for every single one of you at Go Church and those of you watching online that if your world is weary... I pray that you would experience the thrill of hope, that you would experience this Jesus. Because watch this. Let me, let me break it down for just a moment. Because when your weary world meets the thrill of hope, here's the promise. A new and glorious morn appears. This word morn is our English word morning. And I, I've just come to encourage somebody, whoever you are, to tell you that I know your world seems weary, but there is a thrill of hope. And when you meet him, when you encounter him, he gives you a new and glorious morning. Can, can we focus in on this new morning for a moment? I had these thoughts that, that jumped out to me in preparation of today. I thought about this idea of a new day. And how amazing it is to experience a new day with Christ and, and how Christ can give us this, this new day. Let, let me show you what happens when your weary world meets the thrill of hope. You begin to rejoice and Christ gives you a new day. Both campuses take some notes because I'm going to move through these. Number one is this. A new day with Christ provides the help that you need. On the count of three, I want you to say the word help. You ready? One, two, three. Not just anybody. Help. You know I need someone. Oh, there's no Beatle fans in the room? I'm sorry. Help. As a matter of fact, when I was thinking about this idea of help, uh, this verse came to my, my heart in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 24. It's the prophet Jeremiah. And this is what he says. I want you to see this. He says, I say to myself. Uh, don't miss the introduction to what he says to himself. Uh, he just pauses and he says, you know what? Sometimes I, I've got to preach to me. 
Sometimes I've got to be the best preacher in my own life. What, what Jeremiah is saying is that what I've learned in the course of my living is not something I heard in a sermon. It's not something I found off of Google. I have experienced, Jeremiah says, in my own life, in my own challenges, through my own issues, through my own weary world experience. He says, I say to myself that the Lord is my portion. How many of you know that every now and again you got to preach to you? You you can't you can't. Sometimes the church isn't available where the preacher's there so that he can preach to you a message. Sometimes your friends aren't there to respond to a phone call or to a text to encourage you. And sometimes you have to pause and you have to say to yourself, "Self, the Lord is my portion," meaning the Lord is enough. Come on, He's all that I need. Have you ever considered what the Lord is my portion means? Some scholars actually believe, and I, and I would agree with this uh, because they're much smarter than I am, uh, that, that the prophet Jeremiah was referring back to the time when the Israelites were wandering in the desert. And, and God would provide for them every single day just enough manna for the day. That every day when they would wake up, God would help them with what they needed. Not what they wanted, but what they needed. Because there's a big difference between our wants and our needs. And so God, every day as they wandered through the desert, God would provide for them everything that they would need. So every day they would wake up. And there, there would be exactly enough food for that day. Come on, and you know your Bible. If they tried to, to save some of it, if they tried to keep some of it for leftovers, what would happen to the food? It would spoil. Uh, it, it, it would rot. It would, it would go away. And why would, why would God do that? Because God was trying to teach them that he was in control and that he would help them with every need that they would ever have. We see that theme carried on into the New Testament. When Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because the Lord is our portion, and he will give you exactly what you need in that moment to sustain you because he is more than enough. Come on, give me a good amen right there, by the way. Let, let me summarize everything that I'm trying to explain. Write this down. God is already in your tomorrow. Come on. God is already in your tomorrow, and no matter what tomorrow may bring, he is already there, and he is ready to help. Come on. That's what a new day in Christ brings. It brings us the help that we need. So if at this Christmas season, watch this, your marriage is struggling, I hope that you'll understand that God is in your marriage tomorrow, and he's waiting for you to help you to overcome the challenges that are there. If you're weak today, if you're weak in mind or in body or in spirit, watch this, God is already in your tomorrow. And his strength is made perfect in your weakness. And God says, if you'll just hang on, I can help you. Because a new day in me provides help. Come on, church. If you're depressed, you feel low, you feel defeated or rejected, you feel exhausted or worn out. Watch this. God is already in your tomorrow, and he is your joy. He's your joy, and he can help you. Uh, let me stop talking and just give you Bible, because that's what I do best, to just give you Bible. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present what? Help 
in times of trouble. He is our help. In times of trouble. Watch this staying in the book of Psalm. The writer goes on in uh, Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from who? From the Lord. He is the maker of heaven and of earth. The, the point that I'm trying to make is this. Is that whatever you are going through today. God is in your tomorrow. And there is a thrill of hope for your weary world and your world can rejoice because there is coming a new and glorious morning. God is here to help you. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. Yeah. So when we consider what this new and glorious morning provides, we see that it provides for us the help that we need. Our help comes from the Lord. Our help comes from the Lord. Here's the second thing. Write this down. A new day with Christ not only brings us help, but it provides for us the healing that we need. That there is a healing that is found through our relationship with Jesus. If you don't believe me, ask Lazarus. Lazarus was one of Jesus' closest friends. Jesus felt deeply moved by the relationship to Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, after hearing upon the news that Lazarus had died. Your Bible says that Lazarus was not only dead, but he was dead, 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 four days dead. King James' translation of Scripture says that he stinketh. You know you're dead when you stinketh. Come on now. He's dead. But watch this. One day, Jesus shows up. And Jesus says to the mouth of that tomb, Lazarus, come forth. And they moved the stone away. And Lazarus came up out of that grave. And I'm here to tell you that if Lazarus was standing beside me, he would say, it's amazing the difference that one day with Christ makes. Because one day, God can provide healing. You still don't believe me? Consider the woman with the issue of blood. She, she had this disease for over 12 years. And every day, she had to combat the humiliation, the torture, the private suffering of her soul for 12 years. And every day hoping, could this be the day that I wake up and I find my healing? Well, one day, there was this man named Jesus. And Jesus was passing by. And the woman with the issue of blood, one day, reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And the Bible says that Jesus stopped. And he said, who touched me? Now, the disciples, they thought that Jesus had a heat stroke because they looked around and they said, there are a multitude of people. Everybody is pressing up against you. And he said, no, 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 no. Somebody touched me. Deliberately, they touched me. Watch this. Because there's a huge difference between deliberately touching Jesus and just rubbing elbows with Jesus. He said, somebody touched me on purpose because I felt healing power flow out of me. She would tell you if the woman who was healed in that moment, if she was standing here, to try to describe the difference that one day makes with Christ. What about the man? For 38 years, he was unable to walk. He had his mat and he was sitting at the pool of Bethesda. Now, our Germantown campus is only a few miles from Bethesda. This is a different Bethesda and a different pool. Don't try and go up there and find some healing. No, no, no. This is about, about Jesus. And one day, Jesus showed up. Come on, church. And Jesus said to the man, 
pick up your mat and walk. And after 38 years of being unable to walk, this man gets up and he begins to walk. And I guarantee you he's got a little bit of swagger to his step. Come on now. And he would tell you it's amazing what one day with Christ can bring because one day can bring healing. What about the woman, the widow of Nain? She had lost her husband, and now her teenage boy had died. They put him in a coffin. They were en route to the, to the burial site. They were in a funeral procession, and all of a sudden, this man named Jesus showed up. One day, Jesus showed up. He laid his hand on the casket, and he said these words, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And the boy that was once dead now came back to life, because one day with Christ brings healing that we need. This is a good place to say amen right there. Come on. And I think sometimes we forget that this is why Jesus came. Jesus came for sick people. Jesus didn't come for healthy people. It's in Mark chapter 2, verse number 17. He says it like this. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician. He says, I'm, I'm not coming for, for people who are well. He says, but those who are sick. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but, but to come to call the sinners. And I can tell you that many of you, you're wrestling with the sickness in your body. You're wrestling with some type of disease, either physically or emotionally or mentally. I'm going to give you the words that my mama have given me since as long as I can remember. And I pray that these words would encourage your heart and your spirit. She always says, don't give up today, JC, because your miracle might be tomorrow. Come on now. Don't, don't give up today because the miracle, it might be tomorrow. And I've come to tell somebody that a new day with Christ, it brings healing. He can bring healing to our bodies. He can bring healing to our minds. He can bring healing to our hearts. He can bring healing to our families because that's what Christ does. He is the great physician and he is our healer. Come on one more time and give him praise. Come on, church. Come on, do a little bit better than that. Come on. Yeah. See, a new day with Christ, it brings help and it brings healing. But a new day with Christ also brings, in, and I'm going to give you this last thought and then I'll get off the stage. Watch this. A new day with Christ brings us hope. It gives us the hope that we need. Come on. He is the, the thrill of hope in this weary world. He, he is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He, he is the hope in the midst of all the darkness that you and I see. Have you ever thought about hope? Hope is this. It's not on the TV, but, but maybe you can write it down with how the Lord dropped it in my spirit. Hope is the belief that there is a new morning coming even in the middle of the chaos of the night. Hope is believing that while all hell is broken loose and it seems impossible to overcome, hope tells us that even in the midst of chaos, there is a new morning coming. Yeah, that a new morning is coming if we just hang on. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but let me, let me paint it this way. Have you ever considered that, that a person can go 40 days or so without food? You can do it. Some of you are sitting here thinking, if you'll stop preaching, I'll go get lunch because I can't make it. But you can. You can actually go 40 days or so, the human body can, without food. You can go about eight days or so without any water. 
you can live four minutes without oxygen. But have you ever thought about this idea of hope? That you can only live a few seconds without hope. That there's something about hope that encourages us to keep going. There's something about hope that tells us to get up out of the bed in the morning. To put one foot in front of the other. To face today and all of the challenges that it might bring. Because hope tells us that there is a new and glorious morning coming when whatever pain, whatever challenges, whatever difficulties, whatever makes up your weary world, that one day all of that, it will pass. And in my heart, I believe there's too many people who are trying to survive this world without hope. In fact, we put, we put our hope in, in the wrong places. We, we put our hope in people. And if you haven't already learned this, it won't take you too long on this earth to recognize it. People will let you down. It amazes me that individuals still put their hope in politics and government and political parties. Listen, I'm not running for office, so I can tell you they really do not care about the American people. We can't put our hope in government. People put their hope in the stock market. Let me tell you, today the stock market may be up and tomorrow the stock market may be down. The only thing that is consistent is Jesus Christ. It's why, it's why I love Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 so much. It says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised it's faithful. I love the picture of that. That we're encouraged and challenged to, to hold on to hope for dear life. To those of you that are in this room, you're at Go Church, you're online, and you're a Christian. To grab hold of hope that we profess and, and don't ever let go of it. No, no matter what you see in the natural. No matter the pain you feel, the, the turmoil that you walk through. Come on. That as Christians, we, we hold on to hope unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And maybe you're here, you're online, you're at Go Church, and you're not a believer. Maybe today would be the day where you would give Jesus a try. And this new day with Christ will provide hope for you to make it to tomorrow. Listen to me. Don't ever let go of hope. Don't ever let hope walk out the door. Why? Because God is always faithful. And I see this time and time again, and, and I'd be lying to you if I didn't admit that there are times that I even failed in this department where we let go of hope that we profess and we grab on to the fear and the anxiety of the darkness of the night. Where, where we allow what we see in the natural to, to override the, the reality that God is working on our behalf. And, and at times, I've let go of hope. And I've grabbed on to the fear of the darkness of the night. I've grabbed on to the fear or the anxiety of the darkness of the moment. And what happens is, is that we let go of, of God. We let go of the truth of God. And we hang on to the lies of the enemy. And that's what they are. They're lies. But the truth is this. We have to do the exact opposite. We ought to let go of fear. We ought to let go of anxiety we got to let go of the stress, let go of the panic, let go of the doubt, and hold on to hope. Somebody say hope. 
to hang on to the promises of God because all of his promises are yes and amen. And we don't let go. We never lose hope because of hope. We know that a new and glorious morn is coming. If we don't ever lose that hope, we hang on to hope. Hope in the middle of darkness. Hope in the middle of the night. To this day, I vividly remember the death of my very best friend. I told many of you in recent weeks that when I was 13, I, I lost my father to a massive heart attack. My sister was dating and engaged to a guy, and not long after they got married, and this, this man, my brother-in-law, became my very best friend. As a matter of fact, when Kimberly and I got married in 2004, it was Damien that stood as my best man. He's the guy that taught me how to drive. He's the guy that taught me how to shave. He's the guy that told me what wrist to wear a watch and which way the belt should go. He's a guy that told me how to pick up girls, and it worked because I got a pretty little one. We're coming up on 12 years of his passing. Because on May 3rd of 2007, my best friend gave up on hope. He gave up on hope. He was a great, great man. Great father. Unbelievable father, an amazing dad, an incredible husband. He was a really, really good friend. But, but in the darkness of the night, in the middle of, of uncertainty and, and fear, depression crept in. And his fears became overwhelming and the lies of the enemy became louder and louder. And the lies took over. They overrode hope. May 3rd of 2007, he took his life. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget where I was standing when the phone rang. I'll never forget that moment and the horror and the pain that my family felt. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I remember the, the panic that set in. Uh, for Kimberly and I and our whole family and, and we were actually living here in Sharpsburg and my family is in Florida. That's where I was born and raised and so the next morning Kimberly and I, we were trying to, to pack in order to make our trip to Florida to be with our family, to, to be with our friends, to, to, to be with my sister, to be with my niece be with my nephew and I remember kind of packing up the car and it was early in the morning and, and all of a sudden the sun started to rise the sun broke through the horizon and I just thought in that moment man if he could have made it through the night if he could have, if he could have made it through the night whatever fear gripped his mind whatever lies the enemy was telling him, if he could have just held on to the hope that we profess and made it through the night. And I thought if he could see the rising sun that I see, if he knew the risen sun that I know, he would have made it through the night. Church, don't lose 
hope. Don't lose hope. You've got to hold on to the hope that we profess. And I'm going to stay here for just a moment because somebody, and I don't know who you are, but you need this moment. You need to hear this. Don't let go of hope. You're ready to walk out on your spouse. You're ready to walk out on your children. Don't lose hope. You hold on to hope. You're ready to walk away from your family. You're ready to take your own life. Listen to me. Don't let go of hope. Don't give up. Don't surrender. Don't cash it in. Don't. Because if you can just, if you can just make it through the night, I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing in front of you, if you make it through the night, there is coming a new and glorious morning. And Christ is there. He's waiting on you. I think you need to know this because sometimes we forget. It can only stay dark for a while. It can only stay dark for a while, but there is a new day that is coming. And it's amazing what a new day with Christ can bring. Don't give up on hope. There's a weary world, yes. But there is this thrill of hope. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the rescuer. What I would give to tell him, brother, just hang on through the night, man. Because when you see the sun rise, when you get there, God is there waiting. And he has everything that you need. Well, I don't have that opportunity to tell him that. But because of his story, I get to tell you, brother, sister, family, friends, church, go church, hang on through the night. And the chaos, the pain, the uncertainty, the fear, the doubt, all of those things that grip you. And the enemy just sits off in the corner, speaking into your ear, throw in the proverbial towel. Quit on God. Quit on your family. Quit on yourself. Walk away. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares. You won't even be missed. Lies, 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 lies. God so loved the world, he came for you and he came for me, sick people, to bring us the thrill of hope. The thrill of hope. My time is up, but I got to share with you two more verses of scripture because I think that these, for many of you, will become your, your new favorite verse or verses in all of the Bible. Romans 13, verse 11 and 12. Watch this. And do this. Understanding the present time, what you're going through in your weary world, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Uh, let me say what the writer is saying here. Uh, your breakthrough is closer now than it's ever been before. Come on. It's what my mama always says. Don't give up today. 
because the miracle could be tomorrow. Uh, salvation from, from the trials in your marriage, it's, it's, it's closer now than it's ever been before. A salvation in your minds with the wrestling of depression and anxiety, the freedom is closer now than it's ever been before. For some of you, you don't know Jesus. The salvation of your soul, it's closer now than it's ever been before. Don't give up. Don't give up. Watch this. Watch verse 12. The night is almost over and the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The night is almost over and the day is almost here. The night is almost over and the day is almost here. The night is almost over and the day is almost here. Say this with me, come on. The night is almost over and the day is almost here. Come on, one more time. The night is almost over and the day is almost here. One last time, come on. The night is almost over and the day is almost here. The darkness is almost over and the sun will rise again. Hold on to hope because a new day in Christ, it brings us help, it brings us healing, and it brings us hope. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word today. I pray that whatever was said in a moment of sharing what you put in my heart would be an encouragement to your people. So many of them, they need a salvation experience. Whether it's the saving of their soul, the saving of their family, the saving of their mind, the, the saving of whatever it might be. And I pray that they would just be encouraged to know that the night is almost over and the day is almost here. The darkness is almost over. And I'm telling you, church, the sun will rise again. He'll rise again.